grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that I want us to consider today is from our epistle reading, from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome, especially these words. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul says in his letter that the entire creation is in bondage to decay, that it's spiraling downward, coming apart at the seams. It wasn't created that way, but it's been put into bondage, been subjected to decay by God the Creator. And Paul says that creation is groaning. It knows that it's been subjected to futility. The trees, the rocks, the mountains, the animals. In some ways, then, even the inanimate objects are more in tune with the reality of sin's curse than the human race that thinks instead that it can ignore the truth and make our own reality. But no matter how hard we try to fool ourselves, we can't escape the reality of the fall. Secular textbooks tout man's ascendancy, how through accidents too numerous to count, we have evolved to rise above other forms of life, developing incredible mental powers of logic and reason and the ability to invent and use tools that have made our work and life easier and given us leisure time so that we can develop the creative arts and come up with such deep and insightful thoughts as I think, therefore I am, and there is no God. But for all our false wisdom, fallen humanity is only fooling itself not the rocks or the trees or the mountains or any other part of creation. We who have been given faith in God have also been given the gift of knowledge through His Word. We know that man is not ascending. He's not climbing the evolutionary ladder. God's revelation through His Scriptures has revealed to us the true history of the human race. His word has made clear the reality of our perilous fall from perfection. God's word explains why we see decay and deprivation, travesties and turmoil in the creation around us, why there is greed and hatred, why we covet other people's stuff, and why we're not satisfied with our lives. The descent of man into sin and the resulting brokenness of creation explains disease and famine, war and poverty, selfishness and pride. We read the words of the Apostle and we're not surprised to hear that the creation is in bondage to decay, that it's groaning as a result of sin. And not only creation, Paul says, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
we put money away for retirement and hope and dream, and, and then something shows up as a dark patch on the x-ray, and our heart aches and catches in our throat, and our hopes and dreams for the future take a sudden turn down a dark valley, and our spirits groan. We raise our children in the faith. They're confirmed in the church, married in the church, and then for some reason they leave the church and the faith, and our spirits groan. We watch in stunned silence as our society continues to jettison the values of family and life, truth, marriage, and even maleness and femaleness as God created them values that are clearly espoused by the Bible, throwing them over for some imagined paradise of sameness and inclusivity and personal truth. As we witness the loss of biblical values, we feel paralyzed and helpless, and our spirits groan. We see the sin in the world around us, but we see the sin in us, too. We want others to be kind to one another, forgiving one another, and yet we recognize in ourselves the same selfishness, the same propensity to judge others, the same inability to really forgive that person who has hurt us. And our spirits groan. A friendship or maybe a relationship with a family member, goes south. And try as we might to repair the breach, we realize that things will never be the same. And our spirits groan. Or someone we dearly love dies, and there's an emptiness and a hole left in us that we know will never be filled and our spirits groan. Maybe your spirit has groaned like that. Maybe you've always considered yourself to be a strong person. But in these moments, when you've grappled with the consequences of a fallen world, and your spirit is groaning, maybe then it becomes clear just how weak and helpless you really are. And maybe sometimes when the pain is strongest and the tears won't stop flowing, that you've found that you don't even have the words to pray. You want to pray. You want to ask God for a miracle, for Him to intervene in the situation, to restore the relationship, or or to forgive your sin. But the words are buried somewhere under the rising despair or, or the suffocating fear buried beneath the hurt and the tears. The Apostle Paul writes to you today. He writes to Christians who are suffering in this world, bound to decay. He writes to remind us that we have hope. Not hope that says, I hope that there's a football season this fall. Or I hope the grocery store isn't still out of Lysol. That sort of hope is based in the unknown. It's hoping against the odds. 
The hope that Paul is talking about is a sure thing. It's based in fact, in history, in the known. The hope that Paul is encouraging us with today is is something that is rock solid, something that is ours, something that we're waiting for with patience, Paul says. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And what is this hope? It is the redemption of our bodies. It is the promise that this decaying life has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. It is the sure and certain hope of a greater life, an eternal life, won for us by the suffering servant of Isaiah, the Savior promised in Genesis, the Jesus of the Gospels, the one being preached and professed and persecuted in Acts, the Son of God, whose return to judge the earth and take his own to himself is foretold in Revelation. It is the promise of a new creation, one that is not bound to decay, a new body, new flesh that is not mortal, not corrupt, not sinful and dying. This is our sure and certain hope that Jesus Christ died to redeem us from sin, death, and the devil. This is our sure and certain hope, that His blood covers every one of our sins. This is our sure and certain hope, that in our baptism there is a new creature, born of water and the Word, living inside of us. That we have been given the promised gift of the Holy Spirit Himself. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, And he will give you another comforter to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John chapter 14. Jesus did not leave us alone to wrestle with this fallen world and our own fallen flesh, but he has given us the comforter, the Spirit of Truth. Paul says in our text, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Greek word there for comforter is paraclete. This is one who is called to one's side, called to our aid. It was the term for an attorney, for one who had come to one's side and argue a point in court for the person. This is the name given to the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises to send. We see the Spirit poured out on Pentecost 
And we have the promise of the Holy Spirit for each of us individually in baptism. And that Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, dwells in each of the baptized children of God. And so we have this beautiful picture. God's people, bound by their corrupted flesh to the creation in bondage to decay, are beset by all sorts of manifestations of the fall, the brokenness of the world and the sinfulness of our own flesh driving us to our knees beneath a load of grief and pain and suffering, groaning inwardly and not always knowing how to pray. But with God's people, dwelling in each of them, is God himself, the third person, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is intimately aware of your condition, your shortcomings, and your failures, the new man's desire to do good and to please God, and your weakness and inability, according to the flesh, to carry it out. Creation groans, and your spirit groans, and the Holy Spirit within you groans too, on your behalf, is in communication with God the Father, and is interceding for you, praying for you. He is not praying that you have an easy life. Rather, he is praying that the will of Almighty God be done. And this may involve suffering. But Paul reminds us that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so we wait patiently in the sure and certain hope of what has been promised. And the Holy Spirit within us is our guarantee. And the Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you is praying for you, for mercy and forgiveness. He is praying for peace for you for your faith to be strengthened, for your fallen spirits to be comforted, for solid rock for your feet to stand on, and for your gaze to be always and only on Jesus Christ, crucified for you and risen from the dead, the one who has gone before you, the one who is to come again. Your brother, your Savior, your King. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that you may await patiently God's deliverance from all your sufferings, if not in this life, then in the blessed life to come. Amen.